This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. This is the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. I'm Johnny Hart. Let's join our guests for Wednesday. In the United States, it's Trader Nick. And in London, we have Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. How you doing, guys? Really good, mate. Hey, Johnny. Let's start with that important data from the States today. We've seen the latest GDP figures. And uh, Nick, they came in ahead of expectations. They did. We got uh, on the preliminary GDP numbers, we got 5.2 compared to what was a forecast of 5%. And yeah, it didn't really cause, to be completely honest, it didn't cause too much of a stir in markets. You did get some immediate reaction, but for the most part, the dollar index still down. We see currencies against the dollar continuing to advance higher, things like the euro, the pound, etc. And um, I think it's an interesting backdrop in terms of the end of the year here, because while this number, you might point to it and say, well, why didn't that cause a little bit more of a volatility spike, right? You would think hotter GDP numbers would have a little bit more impact. But we do have to remember also that in terms of the GDP stuff, advanced GDP is usually the one that causes a little bit more market volatility compared to preliminary. So that's one side. The other side, though, and I think probably more important to mention, is that currently all eyes are on the disinflation story. And as long as the disinflation trend stays intact, in my opinion, we're likely to see the dollar continue to go lower despite a little bit of a pop in GDP numbers. So I think the market is very much paying close attention to inflationary metrics, which I guess brings me to tomorrow's number, which is core PCE, which comes out. Markets are expecting, like I said, the disinflation trend to continue. And as long as that does, I think that that is going to be taking center stage when it comes to the dollar index. And as I mentioned, you have things like Euro USD trading higher here. The Euro really seemingly has found a bottom for now. I mean, trading down at one point to 1.045. We're all the way up just cresting temporarily at the time of recording this 1.10 on the Euro. So finding some new highs as of the last few months and seems like momentum is still on the upswing when it comes to some of these counters to the dollar. And in my opinion, until you get some sort of catalyst, some sort of change in the narrative, it does seem like the path of least resistance for the dollars to continue to come down. And we'll see if that does stay the course. But one thing I think that we can juggle and we can talk a little bit about here is what is there to really look out for? What are going to be the market moving factors for the remainder of this year? 2023 has been, of course, a, a volatile year in terms of you know the currency world. The dollar was up and then it was down. And the question is, I guess, as we end out the year, what do we pay attention to? Like I mentioned, I think the disinflation trend, as long as that stays the course, that's going to be a big one to pay attention to. But Craig, what do you think? We have PCE numbers tomorrow, but we don't have any major jaw-dropping news numbers that are coming out, at least that I'm aware of for some time. What's the next thing traders, investors, do you think should be paying attention to? So it's interesting because the PCE it is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, and therefore that should be the one we focus on. The problem is it comes out two to three weeks after the CPI figures, and while the actual numbers are different, trends are similar. So you tend to get an impression of what we're going to get from the PCE when that CPI data comes out. You've also got the income and spending data that comes out alongside it. And again, I'm just not sure if it's what the Fed is fully focused on. They tend to focus more on things like unit labor costs. But again, it, it's all there to kind of give you an insight into what the trends are. It's not the biggest market moving event traditionally, but it's certainly one that I'll be focused on. 
as far as tomorrow is concerned. There's a lot of Tier 2, Tier 3 data out over the course of the next couple of days. So if you look at an economic calendar, there's a lot of yellow. You've got things like the Chinese manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMIs overnight. So I think that's going to be uh, an interesting one. There's a lot of speeches this week from central bankers. Uh, and on Friday, we're going to hear from Lagarde and Powell. So I think that's going to be key potentially over the next couple of days, as well as the ISM manufacturing PMI as well from the US. But of course, manufacturing is only 10% of the economy, which is why you say it's not really the same hard hitting data. I mean, I think ultimately what we're watching out for now is actually next week. December is shaping up to be really crucial. And there's three dates that spring to mind more than anything else. There's the 8th of December, that's your US jobs report. There's the 12th of December, that's your US CPI report. And there's the 13th of December, and that's the Fed meeting. And that is going to be the three crucial events happening in December that's really going to not just lay the groundwork for the end of the year, but probably lay the groundwork for the first quarter of 2024 and tell us whether the Fed still believes another rate hike is needed or if they are seeing enough progress on that inflation data. So yeah, there's kind of plenty of mid and upper tier stuff to watch out over the next couple of weeks. Um, and I think the next couple of days, yeah, it's primarily tier two, tier three data. But I still think people are paying a lot of attention to the PCE numbers, the income, the spending, the ISM on Friday too. Craig, I want to also ask you in regards to some of the Fed speak and of course, Lagarde as well on Friday, I did want to cut in and ask you about something. So we had Waller, of course, a Fed official started to say what many kind of think are is like nobody wants to say it, but everybody's kind of thinking it. When are the rate cuts coming? He seemingly sounded a little bit dovish on that front where almost like perhaps the Fed could start to cut rates, not necessarily because they have to, but because they can. And I wonder, is the conversation you mentioned possibly, you know, the idea of like, is there going to be any more rate hikes? But is there the question that on Friday, people start to pivot their ear, I guess, a little bit with commentary from Fed officials or Lagarde about monetary easing? Is there potentially looking for more of the topic shifting from rate hikes to rate cuts? I'm going to say, I probably know some of your answer is going to be, you know, right off the bat, they will not tell you that they're going to rate cut before they rate cut. But do you think the market's going to start to sniff that out more than it has been previously, where before it was like, are more rate hikes coming? Now the question is, when rate cuts? I feel like that may be a little bit of a change in the narrative. What do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, Waller's comments got a lot of people's attention. I think it goes without saying. Maybe Powell, Lagarde, etc. will keep their cards closer to the chest. They know they are the spokesperson of the central bank and their words carry more weight. But to an extent, so do Waller's because he's actually one of the more hawkish members of the FOMC. The interesting thing was not only did he kind of suggest that they're probably done and that the next move will be a rate cut, but he kind of put a timeline on it as well. I can't remember the exact timeline, but I think he says, like, is it four months, five months, six months? We'll have to wait and see. So he's effectively given us a bit of a timeline and that kind of aligns with what the markets were thinking as well. The markets are positioned for June to be that first rate cut. So this kind of aligns with what the markets were thinking. So that's what made it most interesting, the fact that he's hawkish and that he put a bit of a timeline on I don't think Powell will be so forthcoming. Uh, I actually think he will even push back perhaps even a little bit on that suggestion. I don't think he has any intention of discussing rate cuts at this point in time, especially not publicly. But I do also think we will see that late pivot from the Fed and maybe it'll come in March, right? Because if we're going to see a rate cut in June, then March could be an appropriate time to see the pivot from the Federal Reserve because they offer new projections. I think December's probably just a little bit too early. But I think before the pivot, we'll see the pre-pivot. And the pre-pivot is going to be a few policymakers 
talking, at least open to talking about interest rate cuts. But it is surprising that the first one's come in November. But it is indicative of the fact that I think we are at the end of the tightening cycle in almost every case, if not every case. Lagarde, I think, is still going to be apprehensive. But as we've seen from the German inflation data today, inflation's come down quite a lot in the euro area. And the economy is struggling. It's flatlining. Germany is probably in a double-dip recession already. And I think the ECB is going to be among the first movers uh, when it comes to cutting interest rates. If we look at market expectations currently, the first central bank of the major central banks that I can see uh, that is expected to cut rates is the Bank of Canada. Their uh, inflation there is a little over 3% already, and core inflation is low as well. But the economy is also now basically flatlining. So they're the first one that that's expected uh, around March, April time. So really quite soon. Uh, the ECB, I think, is probably going to cut not too long after that. The Fed is uh, pricing the markets for June. And for the UK, it's more like August. And you can see that these things kind of align with their monetary policy reports, new economic forecasts and things like that. So that's never surprising. But I think it's quite clear that we are moving in that direction. I'm just not sure the heads of central banks are going to be willing as much to walk that line publicly because they know how much weight their words carry. And these lower interest rates have led to a weaker dollar. And what's interesting about that is it's made gold uh, stronger over the last few days, Nick. Yeah, gold has been a really hot topic amongst uh, you know traders, investors, because it's done surprisingly well. You know, you compare the S and P five hundred to gold in the last few years. I think gold is actually really hanging in there, and if not, even potentially outperforming the S and P in in some timelines. The thing that I think is interesting about gold is this is going to be the fourth time that we retest if we do get there the all-time highs, at least against the dollar. If you look at other currencies, by the way, gold is already trading at all-time highs because the dollar has held in there pretty strong. What's kind of interesting is that you do have the uh, idea here that potentially as we retest the fourth time, we now see a Fed that looks done to Craig's point and you have still some geopolitical concerns. You have disinflation, in fact. And, and one thing I want to point out with the dollar story is that a lot of times people kind of equate the idea of the gold market going up with inflation. But if you actually really look at it, usually gold thrives in disinflationary environments. It's a little counterintuitive at first, and it's a little confusing. But oftentimes, when you see monetary policy easing and even potentially the possibility of a slowdown in economies or even recessions, gold can actually do quite well. So is there a little bit of a trade here where uh, perhaps some investors are hedging their bets a little bit? Some people may just be going against the dollar in some cases, but it's an interesting move. And I think that it has room to expand. One of the big headwinds to gold's price for the last few years has been Fed monetary policy being a deterrent. And, and same thing for many of the other currencies out there. As we mentioned earlier, the dollar story is a large player, obviously, in this gold move, but it is as well on other currencies, like, for example, the pound trading higher. Notably, a common theme here is that a lot of the uh, risk on currency pairs have also seen a really nice bid alongside the stock market, emerging markets. I mean, you've got, as Craig was talking about the euro, one thing I did have that was kind of uh, a question, we were talking or Craig was speaking just a little bit about which central banks are going to potentially cut first. And of course, it's our best guess because things can change uh, day to day. But the idea was that the US economy looked so rock solid that they would be like the last to cut. And while that still could actually be uh, the way it pans out, 
with the recent uh, disinflation trend really coming online in the United States, it does change, I guess, the probabilities a little bit. It, it adds kind of another flavor there. And so when you look at the euro, the pound, I think that there's a, a just a a repricing a little bit, a little correction happening where we saw this this environment where the U- U.S. economy looked you know unbeatable, indestructible, and now it's starting to really slow. And so um, it is it is kind of coming back in line with some of the other uh, economies around the world. But um, interesting, I would say, is is the gold move uh, in reference to the dollar, which which. To my um, you know, point earlier about where I don't see any major catalysts, to me, the dollar, there's nothing on the horizons that uh, seems to really, really strengthen the dollar. But as markets go, there never is until there all of a sudden is. So we'll see if there's something that changes. But uh, for now, gold looks shiny. And finally, Craig, we've had comments from the RBNZ. Of course, they've kept interest rates on hold. But what makes it interesting were the comments made after the actual decision. Yeah, exactly. So they noted that inflation remains too high and that further policy tightening might be needed. And I know I said earlier that I think almost every, if not every central bank is done with its tightening program, but it seems that the RBNZ is not quite so sure. And its forecasts were very slightly higher on interest rates as well. I mean, we're talking by fractions of 1%, but just that slight shift, I do think, did uh, influence the markets. Uh, And now the markets are pricing in one more potential rate hike uh, from the uh, New Zealand Central Bank, and it also boosted the currency. So one of the currencies that did quite well against the dollar today, for example, uh, was the uh, Kiwi dollar. So I think that's going to be one to watch because while all other central banks or most other central banks are turning their attention to cutting rates at this point in time, the Reserve Bank of Australia raised interest rates at the meeting in November, but it looks like they're done because inflation data this morning was much lower. And the RBNZ is wondering whether they need to do one more too. Okay, very interesting. We'll speak to you both on Friday. Until then, thanks very much. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.